Hey everybody, hey, it's Neil Morse. Having a virtual masterclass. Really excited about it. And um, it's gonna be in three different sessions on three different Saturdays. The first one will be initial inspiration and I'm gonna write something. We're gonna write something together. I'll take your suggestions online so it'll be interactive. And then the next session will be probably finishing that process and then starting the demo process. And I really want you to see how I work in here what my setup is like and the things that I do in the different phases of making a record. And the last phase would be making an actual record and all the different things that go in when you, as you rise to that level. I hope you can be a part of it. It's going to be great. everybody how's it going this is musicians drinking coffee and talking about stuff and i have my coffee right here how about you this is rich mauser ladies and gentlemen hello the i got my coffee my tea see that you gotta see this oh yeah there you go <laughs> nice my spock's beard uh mug spock's beard mug excellent you know i had john anderson on here right last oh man last week which was amazing. I know it was so cool. I was so glad that he wanted to do it. Uh, that, I, I listened to that one. Of course, I don't know. I don't know if he. I, maybe I shouldn't say wanted to. I was so glad he agreed to do it. <laughs> uh, I suppose he wouldn't have done it if he didn't want to, right? Yeah, I don't think he would. We do it if he didn't want to. Yeah, but anyway, um, I think I was a little bit nervous, and you know, a lot of times when you start these things, it's just like. Boom, like he started saying really interesting stuff and I get done with the whole thing. Like I have this set up so it's like recording my voice and and uh, the direct audio out of my computer into Pro Tools, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to make it better quality and stuff. And so I uh, get done with the whole thing. I look up, I never pushed record on the whole John Anderson thing. <laughs> So the only audio that we have is is the audio from Zoom. Like Zoom's set up just to record already. So I mean, people probably don't. Maybe nobody even cares. But I could have died. <laughs> what a thing! Yeah, have you ever done that? Like, man, I hope we get this. Blah, 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 and you and then you you forgot you didn't push record. Has ever happened to you? Yeah, it's happened. <clears throat> it has happened. Like somebody does some killer take, and you're like, oh man. And I, I had this idea, you know. That's how, when you say, hey, uh, we had a technical glitch in here. Right. Right. Yeah, Pro Tools messed up, man. Yeah, yeah, Pro Tools had a glitch. I notice engineers say that a lot. I, I wonder if they're really telling the truth. That now. leads me to, a, I mean, a slightly interesting story about the whole Pro Tools glitch thing and all that. When I, um, I Is got it only slightly, in, only slightly interesting, Rich? Well, I got to work with Chris Cornell here, and you know, on a song. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, what's that? That's interesting. That is interesting. Yes. Yeah, and he was he was right here. Wow. And um, he was telling stories, and one of his stories we were talking about, like, oh, you know, back in the day before Pro Tools, when Pro Tools first got going, or something. And he was there's this one song by uh, Audio Slave where at the end of the song he does this thing, his voice does this weird 
modulation. He goes, ah, you know, some weird thing. And I'm like, oh, man, you know what? Uh, how did you do that? They cut it up in Pro Tools or something? What did they do? He goes, no, I just went, ah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. He said, no, I just hit my throat. And then he did it. It sounded just like the record. I go, shit, that's it. That's how you did it, just like that. And then he goes, yeah, I used to, I used to mess with engineers because I'd be recording a take, you know, and I'd, I'd just do some quick little thing. And then I'd come in, we'd be listening back, and he'd go, hey, hey, your Pro Tools glitched there, man. Your, your Pro Tools, what, what's up with the computer? It's messed up. And the <laughs> engineer would be like, I, I don't see anything. I don't see any. <laughs> wait file. I don't know why well, you hear it don't you I do I do I do hear it well I don't see anything to you it is to mess with them just to mess with them just with the mess with the engineers right like they're not uh, they're not That's nervous great. enough about the sound as it is I guess right yeah <laughs> yeah you know I I there's a lot of effects that um I don't know if that's how they did it in the studio but like on uh, King Crimson's Elephant Talk, that shh, you know, dang, that yeah, that when I saw them live, Adrian Ballou was just doing that in the microphone, and it sounded pretty much like the record. You know, it might have been. I mean, the thing we just mixed on your last solo record, you did that. Yeah, didn't you? Yeah, I think I did. I just I I did it. I I, I mix it with. I'll do that on the mic. And I'll also, um, I've got a filter thing on the mini Moog. So I'll, right, right. a lot of times I'll blend them because the mini Moog gives a little more growl. You know, it's, yeah. it's got this patch on it. You know, it's not one of the real old mini Moogs. It's the Voyager. So it's got actual programmable things, which oh is, my God. which is, I'm sure frowned upon by someone, but. Well, you know, I don't know. I can't tell you how many times I've been in here with a mini Moog and I'm getting a sound. I'm going, well, hurry up and record it because it'll never be happen again. Right. But there is <laughs> something. my old, yeah, my old one. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I used to borrow one of the old ones. And, you know, the, there's something about the old stuff that I'll listen to the old Spock's albums with the, the real mini, the real Mellotrons when we were, you know, dealing with the real Mellotrons and the clicking and all that crazy stuff and and the mini Moogs and there's something just a little bit thicker about it, you know? Those so those old instruments, they have a tone. I don't know why it can't quite be uh imitated. Well, I I think it's because um they're literally degrading on you and that degradation is starting to to create a character, mm. you know, like, uh, you know, all this analog stuff I have here, it's like, it's constantly the capacitors are losing their power or this is doing that, or that's doing that, you know, in this digital world now, you know, everybody's got the same patch. Everybody got the same plug-in. It's all the same. And it's like exactly the same to start with, you know, of course how you season it is your own thing, but with this analog stuff, every compressor is a little got a different taste to it. Every, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's just so it's more random, you know, and it's more, and I guess it, with the course with the Mellotron, it's the fact you got that warble, you got the really just, yeah. And every Mellotron sounds completely different, you know, right? Well, you're, or, or you're, you're quite, quite, you know what I mean, depending on the tapes and whatnot. If anyone was going to have a conversation with anyone 
about <laughs> about weird old gear that sounds really cool, you're the guy. <laughs> Rich Mauser is the guy. If if any of you people who are listening, you want to have a conversation about strange old audio gear that sounds really cool, Rich is going to be the guy. It's so cool. Like um, all throughout our career together, because um, we've been working together long enough. I think you can call it that. Um, I'd say so. Yeah. Although you know, it's so great. I can say. We have our own language references, you know, and I can say some really obscure, you know, mention some prog thing, uh, you know, from a long time ago, you know, rather obscure. I'm looking for an effect like this and you'll say, oh, yeah, they took the blankety blank and put it through the Cooper time cube. And then they, you know, you'll you how do you know those things? I think just by listening to those records like over and over and over again and then messing around, you know, having a studio at your disposal to play around with that stuff. And I was wondering know. if you if you read about it or if just no, I haven't done any reading really about that stuff. Um, there may be a few things where I read about it, but some of it you just you know, when you're playing in the studio, you're like, oh, well, that's like that thick as a brick thing, you know, that we just went through, you know, it's like the half speed Right. Half speed recording thing, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's that's that or like, you know, uh, the Aqualung thing where it's like, OK, well, that's obviously a, um, a tape delay put into a, a plate reverb at about, a you know, a 220 millisecond, um, you know, thing yeah. filtered like this. So they look filtered out the lows and they put bump the mid range and. I don't know. You know, you just yeah. kind of... Are you talking about the telephone effect in this? Yeah, sun, you know, painting on the ground. You know, you, he's got that telephone voice cold. with that... Right. Yeah, with that um, really plate, delayed plate thing in the background. Right, yeah. There are a few things I read about, though. Like, you know, I was always curious about the whole lot of love thing, right? Yeah. You know, um, you know, way down inside... It's like before he sings, you actually hear the hear the you hear it way in the background. Yeah, you hear it way in the background before he sings. Yes, yeah. you know, and um, I kind of was like, you know, when I was doing a lot of analog tape stuff, there's a couple times where, you know, you have a tape sitting around for a while, and you go back and you play it, and then you suddenly hear the mix start before the mix actually starts when you're going to play it back, and you're like, that's weird, you know, what's kind, and you finally oh, it's this print through, you know, when the tape's sitting there, the the tape goes on to another part of the tape the magnetic you know really and so i think that's i don't know if that's i think that's kind of what they said might have happened on that whole lot of love this no print kidding. through effect but i don't know if you know who who knows in the end what i who it's weird with this engineer stuff and how things go but um i was reading this one thing about the guy that did this aerosmith record and they were uh what was it uh oof can't remember what record anyway they're asking the engineer hey man that's such a cool electric lead sound how'd you get that lead sound it's so unique he goes well my microphone cable was about 18 feet long and the and the cabinet was about 25 feet away and so i didn't have i couldn't get it up to the cabinet so i just kind of put laid the mic on the floor where the cable stopped <laughs> <laughs> that's right. how i got that sound happy, just like you know happy accidents laziness. Yeah, happy accidents. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 
keep yep. messing around. And that's the main thing, right? Right, Neil? You just keep messing around until you go like, hey, that's starting to sound like something. Yeah. In the early days of Spock's, I didn't trust anyone to get the sounds that I wanted. Do you remember I used to print? I used to put my voice through a, that Digitech guitar effects processor thing. One rack yep. spec space, you know, DC... DG five or whatever it was, you know, I, if I wanted an effect, I would just print it that way. And I remember Kevin Gilbert got really upset with me a couple times. It's like, dude, like I borrowed a really nice mic from him. And then I put it through all this like junk. You know? <laughs> I don't know. It sounded good to me, man. It's like he kept some of it, but then he had like on thoughts on beware of darkness. He had Al. I remember he had Al come in, He's going to have to re-sing his whole thing because whatever I put him through, I wanted each voice through a different effect, right? I thought my time was almost gone. You know, Nick, I thought I knew which way to run, you know, or whatever the order was. I guess Al went first and then it was Nick and then me. But I wanted them all to be different weird effects, like one through a flanger, one through distortion, you know. So I I used to just print all that stuff like that onto ADATs. So that was all there was. Yeah, that was, that was you didn't have anything else to. That was it. No man. more million choices like in Pro Tools. No, yeah. Now it's like man, talk about choices. Now you oh, got. Go ahead. I say yeah, yeah. Now you got these million choices. Uh, I guess a real quick story too. Uh, this uh, friend of mine uh, down at Mastering down at Capital, Bob Bojan, told me that Eric Clapton was down there doing a record. This is when Pro Tools was kind of getting going. It was it was Eric's first record mm-hmm. on Pro Tools. And he was talking about, you know, in the past, he says, or, you know, he asked him, hey, how's it going, Eric? How's the, you know, how's the album going? He goes, well, it's taken forever. This is like the longest album I've ever, most time I've ever spent on an album with Pro Tools. He goes, really? He goes, yeah, I used to play like two or three leads and we picked the best and that was the end of it. He's now I got like 14 leads. Right. (laughs) I got to go through and they, well, we like a little bit of this one. We like a little bit of that one. Yeah. He goes, man, you know, it's taken forever. I think the English call it freedom from choice. Right. You know, it's like, this is what it is. There's there's something good about that. I, I have to decide that all the time. I'm doing vocals right now on some of the new Neil Morse band material. And it's like, should I do an alternate? Sometimes you're glad to have an alternate, you know, or sometimes, you know, you'll sing a song down five, six times, and then you have to go through and, you know, pick the lines that you like. And a lot of people like to work that way. It's easier on the singer because then the singer just can just feel it and sing it and then he's done. You know, you don't have to like get in there and really nitpick and all that. But uh, I don't know. Sometimes I still like to just make sure that one take is exactly good and then maybe do an alternate as a safety kind of thing. You know, but so many choices, it just takes forever to even pick a vocal. When you mean alternate, do you mean like slightly different melodies, little inflections? Just sing it again. Oh, it's, okay. It's always a little different. You know, just, yeah. in, just in case, you know, later on, you know, sometimes when we're mixing, I'm like, you know, I'm not digging the way I sang that line. Is that you have an alternate on that? Right? Yeah. You know, just. Or you even send a new line sometimes. Oh, all the time. I know. Thank God. I mean, I'm really thankful we can do that. And this brings us, we have a lot of stuff to talk about, but one of the things, I'm so excited because by the time this goes out or airs or whatever you want to call it, um, Transatlantic will be fully out so we can fully talk about it. 
Oh wow! You know, I'm oh, always. Oh, so we can talk I'm, about Transatlantic now. Yeah, Transatlantic. The, awesome. While we're to, this is uh, the fourth of February. It's coming out on the fifth, which is tomorrow. But wow. most of the, most of the time, you know, I'm I'm kind of sworn to secrecy. There's only certain amount of stuff we can talk about. Of you know, <laughs> it's like, and I'm not a very secretive person, so it's kind of hard for me. But now we mystery. Get, yeah, it worked for Led Zeppelin. Come on, mystery. Yeah, right, I know, I know, I know. It can be good, but anyway, yeah, we can totally talk about all the insane things that went into making this new Transatlantic. For one thing, anyway. Yes. I mean, so did you have some problems with your studio over the summer? Yes, I did. I had um, uh, a power supply issue with my board. Yeah, we never really talked about it. I just knew that I delivered all the stuff uh, that I was going to do. I, I had worked on the rewrite or the, you know, the short version, the uh, which is called, what's it called? Oh, the, the Breath of Life, the short version. That's it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I finished all my stuff on that uh, by, by the time I left uh, for a vacation on July 15th. And traveled all across the country in the RV and went to the went to all the national parks and stuff. And it was so killer. But uh, yeah, and then I remember like not hearing anything. I think your breakdown happened in August because I don't think we heard anything until September. Right? Yeah, not really. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think I finally sent like a twenty minute, the first twenty minutes or something like that, in early September or something like that. Yeah, which was right when I was like in Morsefest land. That now right. I'm now I'm back and I'm like I've got to learn all this material and you know all this stuff is happening with Morsefest and and then a yeah, record and I'm trying to get a, yeah. a record came in too that I had to go get shipped and I had to sign a ton of things too. Was that Flying Colors Flying Colors Live or something like that? So it was like this crazy time and then all the <laughs> then all the mixes started coming in and it was yeah, it was it was insane. It must have been more insane for you, so because for the people that don't know uh, how Transatlantic works or has worked on the last couple records, is like you know we get together and we do the template of the album. We figure out you know we write it and figure out what we're gonna do, and then uh, then Mike does his drums usually here in at my place in Nashville, and then everybody starts building on it independently. You know, in Sweden, England, and in Nashville respectively. And then everybody just sends their stuff. We send them, we send some mixes and things around to each other, but mainly it's usually still going on. There's a lot of creativity that's still going on when you, while you're mixing, right? Yeah. So you're getting stuff, you're getting stuff thrown at you like new stuff, different stuff. So everybody's just sending all their stuff to rich. It's like rich will sort it out, man. Right. Yeah, and, and even new ideas like, hey, why don't we extend this part here? <laughs> we should have another like four or five seconds before this part comes in. Can you like somehow make that happen? Yeah, move everything around and yeah, move move you know ninety two minutes of audio down and make sure that not one track gets out of sync. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, well, that's easy on, I mean, you know, fortunately you got save as on computers, so it's, it's not that big of a thing, but you know. Yeah. But about, so what, how insane was it on your end, Rich? Uh, I mean, you know, we've been down this road before on different albums, but I think this one, because of the editing 
and everything between these different sessions. We had two sessions going, your session, which is the abridged version, the shorter version. Then we had the long uh, Royna version. And then, of course, then we had the 5.1 version, which was a mixture of those two arrangements put into a whole new arrangement. Right. And that's what was a little mind-boggling, was to uh, have two sessions going and cut between them. You know, like I'm, I'm working on a mix where the, uh, well, like you said, most of the drums were cut in Nashville, but there were some drums that Mike cut at his house. Oh, that's right, because there was quite a bit of stuff, uh, all these extra parts that I conceived of in June. My, and Mike didn't even do his drums for a while because he was sort of waiting to see whether this was actually going to occur, I think. So I don't think right, he, yeah. Some he of his didn't drums even, didn't even get to me till September. Or right? Like yeah, that. he didn't do it till like later, later in August or something. On both those records, Solar Gratia and the new Transatlantic, you just did such a killer job. I mean, oh, you probably you know that, but you know, it's it's just no, amazing. no. I mean, I you know, we just like you, you know, when you guys are writing, you guys are just writing. You're just you know, you're not thinking about anything except is is this feeling good to me, right? When you guys are in there working, you're just thinking about, hey, is this feeling good for what we're doing? I'm in here working, just going, hey, is this, am I feeling this? You know, what what is it missing? You know, and I listen to, I put on, um, I did put on a Whirlwind some and listen to that. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, just to kind of get my head wrapped around that. And it's very different sounding than this mix wise, you know. And I just, you know, every time you mix an album or something, it's always me. You know, you can never get that same thing back. It's a different thing, but yeah, you know. Um, but I was listening to stuff and going, okay, what am I missing, or what is this or that, and you know. And then you get comments from you guys, which is good because we're all working on this together, and you know, everybody's got their comments, and and you know, slightly different opinions happen, but right. you know, you try to work through the middle ground and and. Uh, I found with mixes too, sometimes, you know, when people have been listening to rough mixes a lot, they, you know, you get used to stuff, right? You just get used to what you've been listening to. Of course. Yeah. Whatever it is. And so when you hear something new, like a new mix, it's it's probably shocking at times. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, Sometimes you you really have to spend, what's that? You got to spend time getting used to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Spend time getting used to it. Yeah. Um, We mentioned uh, the Jethro Tull thing. Okay, you know, one thing I haven't had a chance to explain to anyone, and maybe some of, some of the fans that are listening, uh, fans of Transatlantic, uh, there was a reason why I did, and I say I because I was really the one that was, you know, um, working on the short version primarily. And um, I was trying to figure out a way to get from Owl Howl right into Pete's Solitude without doing the thing that we always do, which is land on some chord, you know, bass pedals and Tron, and then fade in the next thing, which would be his piano thing. I say his because Pete wrote that. That I played it. Oh, did he? Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, really nice. And I thought, oh, man, I don't want to do that again. What else can we do? And we're coming from that... The riff of Roynas that I just love, you know. That's a great riff. And so I thought, what can we go... You know, I just did that... I thought maybe we could, you know, do some kind of freak out. It reminded me a little bit of the end of... 
uh, thick as a brick side one where yeah. isn't there some kind of a don't 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 right and then they start don't 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 right in this freak out thing and then they go into that next part yeah anyway i was so those are the kind of things i can mention to rich and he'll go oh yeah half speed blah 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 and and then uh just kind of i did a i did a little mock-up in pro tools but then you know you did the whole flipping over the tape and all the real stuff and it's really cool. Yeah. It, remember we did a few different, I did a couple different versions of it. Cause I was, I, I think I've, I'm not sure, but I think I've got uh, some video of me messing with that, that whole section. Cause I'm on the tape deck doing this stuff and I don't know. Yeah. You're, it's weird you're... though. I got, I got so many different versions of some of this stuff recorded, like all these different phases tape phases and oh is this the best one or, or this or you know this section of the half speed or is it hard to anyway make, is it hard to make those decisions uh well, it is, alone because you, you yeah because you hear too much of it and you can't decide anymore yeah so you sent us like three and then yeah and then we went oh okay we like this one the best and that was the one that yeah. flew yeah yeah cool as usual, the one the one where we it's like the cutting room floor of a movie, you know, you shoot the scene like you know, and then you just use like five seconds of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> well well I have to while we're talking about five seconds, um one of my favorite Rich Mauser stories, one of the things that one of the things I always talk about in terms of guys who are really good at mixing, um, and especially you, is your incredible patience. I mean, you're very patient. Um, when we were working on the song Leviathan of mine, I I said, oh, you know, this should have a, some kind of echoplex freak out, but we've done that a lot. Is there something something different you could do? It was like uh, at the end of the last chorus, Leviathan. You know, I wanted a, I wanted a thing, and I probably described it to you about like that. Yeah. And then I said, "Hey, I got to go run some errands. I got to have lunch with this guy, and I got to go to my parents, and you know, all all this kind of stuff." I mean, and and this this thing I'm talking about, I think it might be less than a second. I mean, or less than two seconds. Oh no! It's very short. The effect is no, very it's short. Just... It's. I mean, it's got to be. I guess yeah. It's maybe three seconds or something. Whatever. It is super short. The, yeah. my, one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite Rich Mauser stories. So I mean, so I came back like four hours later, and he and you're and you're like, I think I've almost got it, but I'm not, I'm not sure. What do you think about this? <laughs> you worked on the, that two second thing or whatever it is, however long it is. For it was it was four hours, Rich. Yeah, it was about four hours. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's a combination of a lot of different stuff, you know. Yeah, you 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 were like, well, I flipped over the tape and you know did some like you did a backwards reverb thing. So if you record reverb backwards, it will naturally take the decay and turn it into a ascending thing, like that that kind yeah. of thing. 
So there was that. There was tape phase where I went to the two inch tape and I very speeded the tape and lined that back up against the original part, and then that created the phase. And then there was an echoplex in there, also young, 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 young. Right. That got in there, and, <laughs> and well, uh, it's just so great that like we can talk about these things, like you know, other people. You know, in fact, some of the listeners listeners might be like, Echoplex you know, going, yang, 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 what are you talking about? If you take this it's old... It's worth it, though. It's let, worth let me, it, Let's just tell people who, do, who don't know about an Echoplex. It's been all over all the all of my albums ever since the first, you know, the early Spock stuff all the way to now. And uh, and we discovered this when we were kids. This The Echoplex was the premier delay unit of in the 1960s. Because there wasn't anything digital, everything was tape, and yeah. so what you, what we discovered, and what a lot of people discovered, is if you turn the sustain, if you turn everything up all the way, basically, and start moving this bar around, it'll go and make all these really cool, like really yeah. interesting effects. And you've all probably you've all heard this a lot, not just on my, our records, but lots of people's records, uh, you know, from a long time ago. So. You know, we're really into all the effects of the Echoplex. And yeah. Al, Al and I used to just sit around and we would just make loops of Echoplex effects and then try to splice in our favorite, oh, that's a good freak out moment. Because every time it freaks out, it freaks out just a little bit differently. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if you want to add yeah. anything. Uh, just the fact that uh, you got to keep your head, the head's clean. To, in order for it to do it, because it'll start not happening anymore. Right, right. You I know? probably need to clean mine, actually. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, or sometimes it'll play. I remember Kevin Gilbert, he put the whole on the Spock's Beer Beware of Darkness album on Time Has Come. He put the whole track into the Echoplex. Oh, wow. Yeah. And How then, cool. And then a little bit later in the piece, the Echoplex just went... You know how it'll make these little sounds? Yeah. Like later on, like even after it's done, it'll go. <laughs> Somewhere in the like the part after uh, the big landing, it's another big landing chord, and then the soft section starts. Uh, it's the cardboard people in the Jethro Tull ish thing. Walked in the dun, 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 and everyone saw And this one moment, there was this little. And Kevin said, Oh wow! Comments from the Echoplex. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back. Oh, Speaking man. of Kevin Gilbert, so he was quite a character. Yeah, Kevin was going to be Spock's uh, producer, most likely. You know, our relationship was growing, even though uh, one of the last times we were together in the studio, we really butted heads hard because I wanted the vocal at the end of "Walking on the Wind" to come out more. And he did one of the one of these like, okay, okay, if you want a bad mix. First of all, he ignored me for a really long time. Like I, you know, I kept saying, Hey, can you bring that vocal out? He would just ignore me, you know, just keep mixing. And I kept saying it and finally he stops and goes, Okay, if you want a bad mix, if you want a bad mix, it's okay. You know, he, we really had a thing. I'm thinking, man, I was paying at that time in my life, I was paying him more than anyone I'd ever paid. For right. hardly anything. I was gonna say studio work, but like I would say almost anything, right? And here he is, like you know, refusing. Um, but then he passed away. Right before he passed away, he called me, 
And he told me, hey, I figured out a way to bring that vocal out. So when you come out here to L.A., um, we'll splice, we'll do, we'll do the end again and splice it on. Which was kind of, which was kind of nice because it was, uh, it was kind of justifying what I had been saying. Right. But then he passed before we could do it. So the version that you hear is his original mix and it's okay. You know how you can be freaking out about things in a mix sometimes. And then years later you listen to it and it's just like, Hey, it's fine. At the yeah. time, I was like, "Oh, if he doesn't bring that vocal out, I'm I don't know what I'm gonna do." You know, <laughs> <laughs> especially I know. it's like it's it's your second record, right? So everything's like the biggest deal in the world. First of all, you know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Kevin passed away, and then we were, we were like, "Well, what are we gonna do now?" And I remembered that. I had been in the car with my friend George Papanastas, a bass player friend, mutual friend of ours. That's how I I first met Rich uh, because he came in, sat in with the band, the cover band that I was playing. It was at Centerfield in Huntington Beach, California, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, you got up and uh, what did did you play? Do you remember? Oh, God. You know what? I don't remember. I just remember I, I sat in and, and, and played a song with them and ended up starting to uh, get some gigs with them, filling in for, um, for Michael. Um, Michael. For Michael, who yeah. recently passed. Oh, did he? Really? Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm sorry to tell you on this podcast. I just, it, it yeah. Oh, he, he was a lovely, he was a lovely guy, man. We had such a good time together. Yeah. 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 And George too. Wow. Yeah, and George too. That's wild. George but, was early though. He yeah. passed. He passed in early two thousands, wasn't it? Yeah. It? Yeah. He he had uh, got cancer and died within six weeks of the diagnosis. I was at the Nashville airport going out to see him when they called and said that he just passed, passed. away. Wow, that was hard. I saw him about two days before. I went to his house. Really? Yeah, and and he could talk still because it was brain cancer, but he just kept saying, "It's all good, man. It's all good. Love, I love you, brother. It's all good." Yeah, he was a sweet guy, man. Yeah, I loved him. His son contacted me like about two months ago. Really? His son about doing a mix for him. Oh, that's cool. That's cool, yeah. man. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, anyway, I remember that George played me this cassette in his car. Year, like I don't know, maybe a couple years before that. But I remembered the drum sound. There was this tremendous drum sound, and um, it was real Zeppelin-y, you know, that real big room thing. Anyway, so somehow I got a hold of you through George, right? Yep. Because George was still alive then. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was all—it was all because of the compressed symbols, right? Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd never heard anything quite like that uh, from anybody that I knew, and um, I didn't know anything about that. There I was—it's sh- it's surprising, really. I would have been what thirty-seven, thirty-eight, or I don't know when when we did kindness. Uh, that was the first album that you mixed for us, Kindness of Strangers. Ninety-seven. Yeah, sounds right. So I would be—I would have been thirty-seven and know nothing about compressed cymbals. 
What kind of a musician is that? You were a songwriter and a yeah. You weren't probably as much. Well, yeah, you were producing. You were. You knew. I don't know. I did. I did know. I mean, I had was, to know about a, you were quite in a lot. Studio of, there doing albums, but a lot of things. But um, yeah, I didn't know much though about recording. Oh boy, the things I used to do back then, bouncing, you know, bouncing stuff from like bouncing down tracks on ADATs through like Radio Shack stuff to one track and stuff. I mean, the things that I did was would would be considered just absolutely heinous today. But uh yeah, that's how we met and then how did we start? Do you remember? Uh I just remember you saying I have an album um and you know, are you up for mixing it? Was that And you brought in uh Kindness of Strangers on ADATs, I believe. Yeah. And we just um, um, got a DA30 Tascam, and that was what we mixed to, and we punched in the mix. Yeah, so there was no automation. No automation, no. It was just like you mix a section, then you mix the next section, you splice them together, you punch it in. Yeah, you'd actually push record on the thing I, you're I don't know if that was to. the one or not, but there was... Remember there was one where we, we were mixing, we're going, we're punching in, punching in, we're moving the whole album. We finally finished the whole album. Then Al shows up after it's all mixed and says, hey, man, I don't like the way my guitar sounds. Can you turn my guitar up on this one part? And, of course, you know, at that point, you've, you know, you've changed the board up like a million ways from Sunday. So, oh, we want to get back to where we were like two weeks ago and get the sound and punch in a... 20 second piece of music that matches perfectly with the remember yeah. that yeah because i really want this one sound you know there's this really one really cool sound that i made you know out of all the really cool sounds there's this you hear that one you know yeah. we need that to be turned up <laughs> yeah we got to crank that <laughs> yeah and so you're trying to match the cymbals and the reverbs and of course it's you know it's all analog so and it's no automation so you're just you know, you're just spending, you're just going through and listening to the original and you keep tweaking, you keep going in and out of input to see if it's matching, to see if, you know, because once you hit, because, you know, it wasn't like if you hit record on that master mix that you can go back and undo. Right. Once you hit record on that, what you had is gone. Right. You're, there's no looking back. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> there's no going back. That's the way it was, you know. Like you said, those choices, the English, you know, it's... Uh, yeah. If you punched early, you punched early. Yeah. <laughs> I used to have that on drums, you know. You'd be recording a drum. you get, oh, that's the perfect drum track, except for, okay, we got to punch in this. What symbol were you on? Right. You, okay, you were hitting this crash symbol right at this point about this velocity. Okay, you know, and you punch in, or you, you know, and it messed up. And you're like, ah, there's a, cl a click. Ah, yeah. Now we got to go back. Like, let's go back a measure. Okay. Now, this measure you were doing a fill like this. Okay. Remember yeah, this? Play that, along. And if so, and <laughs> so, if you mess it up, you can't undo it. You're, that, that's that's what's bit. on tape now. That's what's on tape. Wow. Which, and those kind of things, I mean, I know we're sharing a lot of stories here, but into that world, <laughs> this might be an interesting thing for the, for the, uh, the geeks. I was, you know, uh, engineering guys, where we're this is for the geeks. Uh, I was doing an album with band Oleander, I was producing it. We were at the record plant Sausalito, and uh, that's the studio where Fleetwood Mac did a lot of rumors. 
Oh yeah, I'd love to go there, man. Sausalito, what a we great were town. In the studio, you know, Studio B for two months, and um, that's where they did a lot of rumors, you know, and that's in that studio. Anyway, one of the guys that Kid was doing a session, the other in the studio next to us, Richard Dash, it was his name, and he was a producer on that album. Oh, okay. And so over over lunch, you know, we're hanging out in the lobby. You know, he started telling stories, and he goes, "Oh man, rumors," because I was asking about it. You know, since we were there, he said, man, we were about a year and a half into making rumors. And we've been playing this tape, you know, and one day I look over to the engineer and I go like, man, is it me or are we losing our high end? You know, and he goes, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, and, and so back then what they did is they recorded the drums on like a 16 track two inch. And then they would make a bounce of those drums and put them onto maybe two or four tracks of the master reel. And then they would add guitars and bass and vocals to that reel, right? Right. So so uh, they went back to the original t- drum t- tape and they listened, played it back like, holy cow, we have totally lost our high end. Because they've been playing the tape over and over for a year and a half working on it. Wow. Wow. So he goes, so we decided we have to remix and refly in the drums onto our master reel. Refly them in. Refly the drums in. Somehow completely locked up. Yeah, but he says we had there was no locking. Right. There was no there you'd was no simply there was no locking play. of tape decks. Yeah, you'd have to just push play on one machine and play on the other. Yes. Right. He said and he said we couldn't even punch in because the machine had a real bad punch sound, you know, put a real bad click in the thing. So what we had to do is we had to do exactly that. Take one tape machine here, take the other tape machine here, use a grease pencil, you know, to to make our starting points and hit play together and and then use the very speed to try to keep. Oh, he's getting a little ahead. Pull him back. Put, put you know, use the very speed to try to keep him in tempo. And uh, he said, and there was, and it had to be one take per song. Right. And he said it took about two weeks to get it. Wow. About a song a day. It took almost an entire day to get one song to be lined up perfectly. That's rumors. Sounds awesome. It does. Sounds great. That's crazy. I've never heard that. Yeah. Well, we have some stories. What tell, tell us about making snow. Oh, snow. Yeah. That was when you talk about patience. Yeah. That was one of the ultimate patients making snow. Because you had moved out of you. You'd moved out of your one building. I moved to my one building. I was at my house at the time. Yeah. In literally in like a a, a little like office room, you know? Yeah. Just like a regular room. I remember. Then you moved a couple times. Yeah. Then I moved and I had it set up in this in this this house. That I was in, and uh, but snow was the first record where you weren't there with me. Yeah, that was because it went it went so far over time um, that I had this vacation booked at Disney World with the family, and I we couldn't get out of it. So uh, right. we, so that and that was the in the days before like internet streaming really was a thing. And there was no, a, it was still dial up. We were on dial up. Yeah, and modem. and somebody was a friend of ours. John Beghold. Was it John Beghold? Yeah, was, I believe so. I think you said you sent him over to uh, to hook. He set up this system to where I could send you mixes over the internet. It was it was an FTP site, 
And so yeah. at, at night at my hotel or motel or whatever it was in Florida, I would download the mixes and then burn a CD and I'd have to go out into the rental car and listen to it. That's how we made snow. And I remember standing out in front of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids going, hey, uh, I think Al's guitar needs to come up in this part. And yeah, all the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Put, a, put an echo on this word. I want it to echo like this. Right. Um, but yeah, snow was like, the crazy thing about snow was that it was, we because we, I was there for the recording of the drums of that. Remember we did them at Kevin's Kevin's place? It was on two inch. So I, was, I, I tracked the basic tracks on that one. On a 24 track machine. Yeah, we recorded the drums to a 24-track machine in the bass, and um, I think some of the bass might have been kept from that. I'm not sure from those initial sessions, I think. Yeah, I think so. But um, um, anyway, but yeah, so we had 24-track 2-inch, and then you had three, uh, two or three ADATs also along with that. That's Matter of fact, I think I bought, I, bought a new, I bought another mixing board for that album <laughs> because I only had 24 channels. And we had the 24 channels off the tape deck, and we had another 24 channels off ADAT. Yeah, that, that, the, the ADATs had all the vocals and guitars and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, so then you have to get this you get this thing that syncs the ADATs up to a SMPTE that locks them to the 24-track. But it takes forever for them to lock. Well, and then you were mixing to a Tascam separate unit so you were yes yeah, so you were mixing you had, to it so then i had to lock too you had to so lock I had up all these and then i also had bought an automation at vca flying automation for my board at that time oh. and that was locking to simpty also so the simpty track was driving all these things to lock the whole thing up and like you said there's a vocal section on snow where it does one you know the madrigal different parts coming in thing right. yeah and, uh, you know, so, you know, you hit play about maybe a minute or a minute and a half before the part comes in because it takes about a minute for everything to to grab and hold and lock up. And then you wait for that little 15 seconds moment and you quickly like do your moves and try to make your automation. Then it's gone and you got to rewind a minute and a half and you play it again and you sit there and wait. It's coming up. It's coming up. Okay, I want that guy to be. Ah, you do it, and then you go back. I mean, it's like you said. <laughs> that is insane. And it just went on like that for you know. And a whole double album with all of that intricacy. Yeah, that was like a good month or six weeks of. Uh, yeah, it was really. And then the upload, you know, uploading a mix to you. I would like go to bed at night. I'd, I'd set it to upload. I wake up in the morning, and and uh, it would say like, "Oh, error occurred." Right. Right, yeah. Because it took like eight hours to upload a song back then. Yeah. Something I do now in like five minutes. I know. It was crazy. It's amazing how good that record came out. Yeah. I, re I remember telling Thomas Bobber from Inside Out, because other things happened. I mean, it wasn't just that I was already feeling like I was going to leave the band and had you know didn't feel like I should tell him yet. So, you know, so that was a big... I mean, what a... That was horrible. Um but not just that. I mean, I, I, I had to fly out to L.A. a bunch of different times. I mean, the one time when we were trying to finish it, the next day was 9-11, and I couldn't even get back home. I had to drive all the way. I mean, it was just all kinds of stuff that happened. One time I came back, and like I just sung the whole end of the album, and I just loved what I did, you know, those times when you're really feeling it. And suddenly the the 
ADAT tape and its backup were all blank. Yeah. Oh, no. I had to sing the whole back third of that album again. I had to, there was nothing to do. And I remember talking to Thomas on the phone going, I don't know what it is with this record, man. This is a, just a bear. Uh, you know, it'd been two years. We didn't spend that much time usually. I mean, it was just all the, just the heartache and the hassle and the problems. And man, it was rough. But Thomas said, well, in my experience, albums like that, I'll, I'm encouraged because albums like that usually are really great and do really well. And, and sure enough, <laughs> you know, Snow to a lot of people is pretty legendary record. Yeah, I know. It's, there's some, you know, you just keep working on it until you get it done, right? Yeah. That whole vamp. I mean, I sang that whole vamp, you know, the with wind at my back going and all the ad libs. And I mean, I did that. I did it so great. And then I had to try to... <sighs> You know what I mean? That's disheartening. Try to do it again. And it just, and ultimately it is what it is. But I'm thankful, man, that it touched so many people's hearts out there. Yeah. I wanted to mention uh, a moment with you that really meant a lot to me, touched my heart, was on the cruise when we were doing uh, And You and I with John. Oh. <sighs> And I looked over at you on the side of the stage and you were crying. I was. I was like a baby. It was beautiful, man. There was, uh, it, it brought back so much, not only, you know, my love for Yes and and the, 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 the you know, the sacredness of that song and just, I don't know, or just the feelings, you know, the emotions. I mean, for Yes, yes for one thing, for me, I was having a really hard time when I was about 17, you know, I, I left high school. I joined a band and went on the road. And while I was on the road, I just, my parents were getting divorced and I felt like I'd lost my life and my home. I had no ground. I know where I belonged, so to speak, you know? And, um, I, I, I would listen to yes records. I brought along my records and a turntable and whatever hotel I was in, I would set up my stereo and my records and, and listen to yes. And it just got me through, a lot yeah. really helped me. So it really meant a lot to me, but I also was thinking about my mother who had passed away, you know, and while that was going and, and just, you know, your life, you know, from where you were to where you are and wow. But in seeing you guys there and knowing that I was here and, you know, I was kind of connected in some way of, to this person that I listened to when I was, you know, 14, 15 and just like to here I am now, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. I totally do. It was just a moment. Yeah, I had you guys I, playing with them, and that was amazing. It was a when people ask me about you know high points in my you know best gigs kind of thing. That's definitely one I yeah. always mention. You know, that was incredible. Whew. Yeah, it was great. We've had some great, great moments together, man. You've been there. Oh, for we a, have. You've been there for a lot of really important and stuff. I, I appreciate it all. I appreciate it all and feel so fortunate to have been part of, you know, my small part of the puzzle, you know? Oh yeah. Well, you're a big part of the puzzle actually. You know, we call you the, you know, the sixth beetle or whatever, you know, you're the, oh, depending man. on how well, many, depending on how many people are in the band. <laughs> and, and uh, I, I love it when you tell me 
actually, you know, I played guitar on that part because, or, or I, I put that tambourine in there, or I, you know, so you sang backgrounds, didn't you, on Solo Gratia? You said, yeah, the backgrounds really weren't really coming out, so I just went in, rather than try to mess around with that, I went and sang it, right? Right. Well, yeah, you asked me about a part, and you're like, these backgrounds, can you do some? Because I thought they were going to be more like this, and I went in and listened to them, I go, well, there's, there's not really anybody doing that. Which you're, I think I kind of read in your mind that you were looking for this more, this bigger thing, and there wasn't anything really there. So I said, "Well, I'll just put on a mic and sing." And yeah, no, it's, but you know what I mean. It's just, it's just little stuff, you know. It's just, right. it's, it's really, it's only things to like, you know. You take the original thing and you just do something to kind of make it pop just a little bit more. That's all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're trying to get something to really speak. You're and just trying to get something sometimes... pop because there's so, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, so much you. sound going on. You need this part to come out a little, just like Kevin in the vocal. Hey, I found a way to make that vocal come out. Yeah, 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 man. Well, I've been so blessed to work with you over the years. This seems like a good place to land. And uh, yeah, man, isn't that something? That whole relationship with George and blossomed into this thing. It's been you know, this has been a blessing to p- people all over the world. It's a- amazing, really. Yeah, I, and and you know, I thank you for you know putting your heart out there is the only way I could kind of you know putting your heart and your 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 emotions on the line. I can't tell you how many times I've been on tour back at that mixing board with like almost tearing up again. You know. Those moments where it's just me, you're just all by yourself, and I'm back there with the Echoplex, and we're in sync together, you know, with what I'm throwing on the voice, and you're, you know, wow. That one, I can't remember what tour it was, maybe six, seven years ago or something, but there was one where I just remember moments just, woo. Well, that never happens to me, man. I never tear up. No, you never do, live. (laughs) You're stone cold, stone faced, just... I love, you know, one of the things I felt, I remember, there's so many, but uh, the Whirlwind Tour, doing coming out for the Encore and doing Bridge Across Forever. When you're, That's probably what I'm thinking of. When you're in your zone with the Plex and Royn is in his zone with all his, you know, nobody does space better than him. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that lyric and, and, and they raise their eyes. Yeah. Yes, that was it. <laughs> oh man, it was just magical. It's funny. One time I, I I was doing on my solo tour. I was like, you know, it's real low budget, so you know you can't really afford a sound guy, you know, or anybody, any guy really. You know, you're just going around doing solo gigs, and it's really cool. But I couldn't, you know. Sometimes I'd do Bridge Across Forever, and I tell the sound guy, hey. At the sound check, I'd play a little bit of that part and say, when I hit this note, can you put a long delay on me? Well, this one guy, he just got the message, long delay. And so he'd just bring it up and out, like throughout the entire set. <laughs> like, oh. like, like I'd be doing Living Lightly or something. Living lightly, living lightly, lightly, lightly. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, not everybody's Rich Mauser. Well, the fact that I mix the records and then if I'm on tour, I mean, that's a huge thing. Yeah. That yeah. the guy knows the music. If your sound man knows the music very 
the, the intricacies of it and he knows what he's uh, going after. Yeah. I mean, when we make these records, we make the choices of like, okay, well, this vocal effect is this for this part and this is going to be like this. So I know, okay, in this part, I put this slap echo and this part, I had the doubler Cooper time cube part. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just, we, we, you know, so live we could recreate what we did in the studio, yeah. you know, kind of. Now, maybe we should close with the Cooper Time Cube. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is probably like, how many people do you think in the world have this? Oh, there's, you know, thousands probably. Is it known? Is it a thing? Uh, Yeah. So it's I mean, this... it's known in certain circles. I mean, actually, they they make a plugin of it now, so you could just buy the plugin. Universal Audio, I think, makes the plugin version. Oh yeah. So, well, basically, it is a like a big case, like a big giant suitcase filled with vacuum cleaner hose, right? With a microphone yeah, a, at one it's, it's end like a, and a yeah, speaker it's about at the, the other. The size of a suitcase, and yeah, it's got two different vacuum hoses. Um, literally, just a plastic vacuum hose and one is like uh longer than the other and and on each one there's a speaker on one end and a microphone on the other end and so uh it gives you about a 14 and a 16 millisecond delay Mm. that's all i mean you can't change the delay time it is what it is right right and uh but you can chain one going into the other and get like a 30 second delay a mono 30 second or stereo 14 millisecond and 16 millisecond there you go but the thing is, the fact that it's analog and it goes through this vacuum hose, it's got a tone that's just very unique. Yeah. And um, it gives life to the stuff in a way. That's how I think of it. It does. Like it if you got a real rock, like if you got a real rocking, rocking section, and you want the vocal to really have a lot of life in it, you know, like some of the Zeppelin stuff, or um, I even I think of some of the Peter Gabriel stuff. Seems like it, you know, it has. Some you know. So you think I'm a tough kid? You know, doesn't that have a like a that kind of thing on it? Yeah, yeah. It's where it's it's like it's not an echo. You know, you you don't feel like you're affected so much. You just feel like it's got some something to it. Yeah, it's it brings. I mean, life you to really it. the place that I really know it's used is on Leonard Skinner records. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like I was working with this producer that knew t- uh, t- so much about uh, Leonard Skinner. He was, oh, the Cooper Time Cube. It's all over. Listen to Leonard Skinner. And if you do, you'll hear it. Okay. Because it's tight. It sounds like it's, it's he doubled himself, and then he put himself through the Cooper Time Cube. Hmm. And, uh, and I think Lover Madly by the Doors, too. Listen to that. Okay. Listen to the Morrison vocal on that. That's very cubed. Ladies and gentlemen, you have your assignments. Anyway, yeah, if you wish to undertake, but like I said, but now you could cheat, you could buy the plug in and and you could change the uh the time also, so you're not stuck with those millisecond time, you know you can make a longer delay with the Cooper time cube now, right, but it's not the same, rich cheating no. right, well, there's something about the no. real thing, you know the thing about music though, I feel like progressive music and music in general i glad I'm glad it grows, and I'm glad people try new things. I'm glad that, you know, there's new equipment coming out and experiment with and and to play with. You know, it's it's fun. Is he taking the old stuff, making new stuff with it or yeah. you know, it's 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 awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's awesome hey, we, with- we we got some lucky jobs, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it is great.
yeah, <laughs> definitely very, very blessed. And I'm very, really thankful to for you, Rich. And oh, you thank know, you, Neil. It's been uh, a wondrous thing yeah. making all these records together, and then the hits keep coming, as they say. Well, the non-hits keep coming. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Well, I know we can keep going. We could go on and on. Oh yeah, we could go on and on. Absolutely, we could talk but for I a really how long you time. Told me, and I always remember this. When I gave up, what I gave up, what I thought I wanted to do, and just made music strictly for myself, is when I had the most success. That's when I had any success, actually. When yeah. you had any success. Yeah, that's right. When you just said, "I'm just going to make music I want to do, and I don't care if anybody um, gives me, uh, you know." You know what I mean? Instead yeah, of trying to it was like Al and I, in our, I was in my early 30s and my brother Al and I, you know, I had done these demos of the Spock's Beard stuff and that was when he said, you know, man, just let's forget about all that stuff. Let's just do what we love. Yeah. That was kind of our motto, you know, just forget about everything else. Let's just do what we love. Forget about what's on the radio. Forget about what the trend is. Yeah, forget about what the labels say. Forget, you know, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it seems really obvious now that everybody should do that, but it didn't seem that obvious in Los Angeles in 1991. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, who's going to, you're never going to get a record deal with this, you know? And anyway, yeah, thank God that, uh, all that stuff happened little by little, little by little. We were able to do what we love. And uh, and thank God that other people have been blessed by it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, my friend. Thank you so much, Neil, for having me on your podcast. All right. Yeah, well, uh, we'll be talking to you soon for the next record, dude. Yeah. I will look forward to it. Yeah, drums are coming. All right. Have All fun right. uh, recording those vocals. All right, we'll do, man. Hit record. All right, yeah, play it record for sure. <laughs> All right, Rich. Love okay. you, man. Take care. Bless you, brother. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Bye.